Timothy Pistari is a PhD student across School of Computer Science and School of Cultures, Languages, and Linguistics at the University of Auckland. Tim's research is in generating data for low-resource languages to train the large language models. As large language models become a more powerful tool, as large language models becomes a more and more powerful tool, case in point ChatGPT, it is becoming a bigger and bigger part of our lives. So it is great to see that there is an effort to make this available for wider users. Tim grew up surrounded by foreign exchange students. And perhaps because of that, he's always been interested in traveling and languages. So maybe following that a little bit, he pursued a master's in linguistics in New Zealand. After that, he joined the company as a linguistics researcher. There he identified several applications that he wanted to try out, and he started picking up skills to do so. With these ideas, he approached the university to study a PhD, where he is today. Often, I find myself hesitant about studying new things because I'm not an expert in that field of study, and that uncertainty scares me a lot. Talking to Tim, I was inspired by his fearlessness and willingness to learn new things. In this episode, I had a great conversation with Tim about his research for low resource languages, his love for languages and linguistics, and being a bridge between computer science and linguistics, and how more and more of these bridges are being built across several disciplines, and much more. Thank you for being here and listening, my friends. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Timothy Pistari. And we're good to go, Tim. All right. Good to go. You're, you're good with Tim, right? Yes. You, you yeah. don't go by Timothy at all, right? You know, I, I, um, I was saying before, I've traveled quite a bit. And I did my senior year of uh, university in Ghana in West Africa. Is that right? Yeah. And over there, uh, Timothy was easier because it's a biblical name and everybody, you know, with my accent difference, if I said Tim, there'd be, there could be some struggle. Mm. And I got really like used to and very much enjoyed Timothy. But then when I went back to the States and I tried to get people to call me Timothy, <laughs> no one, no one would call me Timothy. Yeah. So, so everyone just assumed, hi, even if you say you're Timothy. Yeah. I'm Timothy. Like, I prefer Timothy. Please call me Timothy. They're yeah. like, all right, Tim. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, yeah. But I do at this point, I've given up on Timothy and I'm quite, quite happy with Tim. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think your name is cool because your first name and last name kind of rhymes, right? Timothy Pistati. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a full on rhyme. Yeah. It's you pretty know, good. Yeah. Multisyllabic nice. rhyme. Yeah. And it will be kind of relevant for you because you studying here at the, well, like kind of half of your PhD is in this department of linguistics. Is yeah. It, is it? What's the full name of this department? It's not just linguistics, oh, right? It's, uh, ooh. So I'm in the linguistics department in the uh, the School of Languages ah. and Cultures. Okay, okay. I think. And oh, oh, the I, CLL. I hope that nobody from CLL <laughs> <laughs> watches. So well, the CLL well, is like just a building name. Um, like so, so way. I'm in the linguistics department, but you have like applied linguistics and you have um, uh, other, other like uh, language teaching and other departments are, are, are also in the same school right yeah so what's what does cll stand for yeah so it's probably <laughs> cultures languages and linguistics yeah i think that's right yeah i did have to look it up okay yeah yeah and yeah. because so for for those folks we are listening we are at the cll building at the university of auckland yeah yeah great to be here thank you for having here because your office is in this building right uh, yeah so i have an office here and then i also have a desk over at the uh, new market campus which is, is that right where the uh, strong AI lab is, and now we, in general, the uh, AI department's moving 
over there. So oh, okay. Is it, is that including? Is that separate from the School of Computer Science? It's so yeah. So it's a um, basically the lab. Strong AI Lab is uh, it's a lab within the Computer Science Department. Okay. Yeah. So. Michael Whitbrock's my um, one of my supervisors, mm. and he has a lab, Strong AI. Yeah. Um, and uh, Sale, so Sales over there, and um, slowly people from from computer sciences that are involved in machine learning are coming over to our building and uh. filling it out. Currently, though, it's it's a wild place. It's uh, it used to be a brewery. Yes, because that's where the like robotics engineering like department is there and stuff, right? Yeah. 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 And so it's like our space right now is this top floor. And um, yeah, when we first moved in there, it was like maybe a hundred desks and maybe five people. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's so cool because it must be like a huge place too. Huge, like... huge. It felt very much like a futuristic dystopia, like yeah. kind of office space, like where, why is this place empty? <laughs> um, it's slowly filling up and uh, being used more and more. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah. That, it does look cool from outside too, because I used to live around there. I oh, used to yeah. live on Broadway. Yeah. And one of my friends that I flatted with worked there. Oh, okay. And she's, I think she's still working there. Um, and from outside, I was like, well, it looks cool. It looks cool. I think, you know, what, what she's doing, because she, she does robotics engineering yeah. research. It feels perfectly, in my opinion. It does. It really does. The the um, building suits the purpose for sure. And it, it has like weird... Um, kind of things from the past when it was a brewery so you have like this trail of uh where you're supposed to walk so you don't get run over by whatever yeah brewery equipment i don't know truck tanks or whatever that's um, cool and then yeah like there's a bunch of really cool sciences going on in there so you have as you walk through you can kind of peer through and see these yeah. weird structures and robots and stuff and you're like oh man i play with that whatever that yeah. is yeah so and it's not too unrelated to what you're studying right yeah yeah so um we actually just got a couple robots i saw one yesterday for the first yeah? time it's a little like humanoid uh creature which oh, we haven't okay. quite uh we just got it like this week so i haven't been able to play with it yet but um yeah we have some people working in some different modalities so there's one uh team that's within the, our lab that's working on doing some um, 3D printing using, uh, so like generative AI, 3D printing kind of concepts, which really? is, yeah, surprisingly challenging, yeah. but a really great um, great idea and very cool. Like uh, the, the challenges involved are surprising, but the outcomes are, I mean, like ideally, like what they will be able to do is take a picture of something yeah. and then print that thing out. And that's, that's really cool. That's wild that that's an option or yeah. that it's going to be an option soon. So. Yeah. They would be really cool, but I'm guessing it would have to be several pictures, right? Like you can't just take a picture of a car. Uh, well, I, yeah, I guess, I guess it, it depends, right? Yeah. Like if you're taking a picture of a car and you have a generative model that can produce what it assumes the backside mm. would look like. Um, so if a human could do it, then to some, to so, some extent, then um, I imagine, yeah, that. Yeah, like cause you, if you if you if you look at the car, you probably gonna assume if there's three <laughs> wheels visible that there's a fourth one in the back. Yeah, <laughs> so you just have to, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So that's part of the strong AI lab. Yeah, yeah, that's right. one of the. There's a um, one PhD student and a couple of uh, research fellows that are working oh, on that. Yeah. You took me up, Tim. This sounds really interesting. <laughs> Man, our lab is amazing. Like I, sounds you know, like just a... strong AI. I strong know. AI. Yeah, there you <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, 
I definitely feel like I, one of the things that I like the most about my current setup is I'm just surrounded by people who are just like incredibly like interested in the most obscure things, but they're really good at them too. (laughs) And our projects that we're working on are all exciting. Everybody's like, yeah, again, also, you know, like you were saying, it's nice to be back on campus and be around the university. Um, being in a work environment where everybody is excited to be at work is weird. (laughs) You know, like that's not normal. Yeah. Um, but that's my current (laughs) life and I really like it. Like people have projects they're excited about and if they're not excited about why are they doing them? Right. Cause they could, they could just choose a different topic and go work on that. Like, so there's so much freedom to choose what you want to do that everybody's chosen something they're, they're interested in. And yeah, it's a really good but I'll, yeah, I expect you to have lots more strong AI people on here because our lab's got yeah a lot of brilliant and fun fun people doing fun stuff. Yeah. So. Heck yes, because Diana is part of it, right? Yeah, she uh, she was she's still associated with it, mm-hmm. and then also in um, Naui, which is Natural Artificial Organizational Intelligence okay. Institute, um, which is trying to collaborate with other departments more. So she recently um, got a. Uh, a um, lecturing position so she's involved less in the lab and has more like autonomy which i'm you know happy for her that she's you know leveling up and everything that's yeah. pretty cool um big fan of hers so yeah, yeah her well, work's cool or like real amazing and yeah just glad she's she's doing well so yeah for sure for sure yeah, yeah. i had her on um you might know that i had her on my show and yeah it was awesome talking to her and i, I was lucky enough to know her outside that oh really yeah before uh, before I had her on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we started out as friends. Um, we met through friends, oh, yeah. um, who was, yeah, who, so I, I studied Matt's PhD and I shared an office with Nina and yeah, Nina had a kind of, we met through Nina and yeah, I was like, um, oh, Diana, you'd be like a perfect person for my podcast. And she was, yeah. she was like, yeah, super articulate. Um, basically she knows what she's talking about, you know? Yeah. yeah and definitely. I felt that. Yeah. And I think back because there, there was the first time so there was like a couple months ago and there was the first time i was at been back at uni since i've left here several years ago and yeah like you said like it's awesome and inspiring being around people doing what they want to do yeah because they put the extra mile because they want to yeah definitely yeah and i think that gets you know i think the dark side of that i feel like that gets abused a little bit in the academia settings you know yeah um yeah it can can be for sure uh you know with the yeah with like competition and then also the like the phd scholarship is like kind of threshold it's below minimum wage yeah, it's, right? yeah. <laughs> which is a fun fact this way it has to be a scholarship you know <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so scholarship below minimum wage you're expected to work 40 hours but you're probably going to work more mm. and so then you that is it is like yeah it definitely inspires some some abuse luckily um, in my own situation, I've been like supported quite a bit in terms of being able to find some extra funding through teaching or through, uh, some extra research. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. If you pay somebody less than minimum wage, they have to do more than, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for getting, uh, getting an income from the university, however, but it's, um, yeah, yeah, definitely can. You, you you do have to defend yourself a bit from, um, yeah, being overworked. Not again. I'm in a really very like I have nothing bad to say about my 
situation in terms of like strong AI, Michael Whitbrock, uh, Vitya, um, and Jason, my other two supervisors, they're all very supportive. So I'm, yeah, yeah, not, not in that boat, but I do know there's, there are a lot of, yeah, <laughs> around here, there's a lot of that. So Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's kind of not, not unique to Auckland, you know, it's just kind oh, of academic yeah. in general. Yeah. Tr- yeah. Across the planet. That's across like the planet. The, yeah. The whole, that's the whole way of doing things, but. I don't know. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme and I'm finally <laughs> closer to the top. So I'm okay at this point with the, uh, you know, <laughs> you're climbing my, my own situation. Yeah. You're climbing, you're climbing. Yeah. Um, what's the, so you are part of the strong AI and, you know, as the name suggests, you, you, your research is in the area of AI. Yeah. But what I find really interesting with your case is that it's not, you are not purely in that, um, the computer science department or school of computer science, yeah. but you are also in the linguistic side of things too. And that's, that's your main background where you're coming from, right? Yeah. So I'm technically, uh, so I'm 60, 40 supervision with 60% in linguistics and then 40 in, um, computer sciences. So I am technically an arts student and not a computer scientist. At that's all. why your office is here. That's too. why I'm in this. Yeah. This sure, wonderful yeah. building. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so that definitely is a, um, I'm a super fortunate to be able to participate in both sides. It adds somewhat to the workload because I have to learn two that's fields true. at the same time. Um, but that's actually why I came back to do the PhD was because I was in the, I was in the industry, but I didn't have the knowledge that computer science knowledge to really, um, work on some of the things that I wanted to. And then I was, uh, not necessarily rec- recruited, but, um, I had tried, had tried to come back and there was a, um, question of whether or not I would be, uh, able to join the, the computer sciences part. And then Vitya came and asked, uh, almost specifically for somebody like myself, like a month after I had mm. attempted. So, yeah. So now I basically am trying to use the knowledge I have about linguistics and, uh, languages in general, and then learn a bunch of stuff about machine learning all very quickly <laughs> it's going going well but that's that's a lot to digest though you know like yeah, you said yeah uh yeah i mean it's it's an amazing amount of work but being surrounded by so many people that are so excited about their their work it's it's you know oftentimes it's just talking about things that i would i was researching this stuff on my own before i came back yeah, to yeah. school so it's just like having a good support network for my uh nerdy obsessions i guess so, yeah yeah yeah, because on LinkedIn, <laughs> I, your description of like your profile description is, uh, I don't know if you know off by heart, you know, like I don't know how long ago your LinkedIn was created, yeah, yeah. but it's, I like studying, I like languages, I like computers, I like studying co- languages with computers. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> very, very simple, very straightforward. You know, you like this thing and that's what you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, and, um, you know, I taught, um, I taught English for, a long time traveling and everywhere that I've lived, I've at least studied, um, the language to, you know, get to a conversational level. Really? So I've learned a lot of languages, um, on my own. And then I came back to, um, university for applied linguistics, which was more language teaching, but my partner was in the theoretical linguistics mm-hmm. and all of her classes were so exciting. I was like, all right. And I took one syntax class and then basically just transitioned in full, full on to linguistics because it was, 
a lot of intuitions that I had about languages and learning languages and the similarities between them and their structure was just formalized. And I was able to actually understand like, yeah, other people have figured these things out too. And they figured out a lot more. And if I study what they've done, then I can kind of, you know, learn languages faster, teach them better, all sorts of things like that. And then with computer science aspect, it's, it's like now I'm not a language teacher for humans, but I'm a language teacher for computers. And it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's like, uh, just, um, yeah, just like kind of this progression that I didn't like, it doesn't make sense that I'm able to do what I'm doing right now. Like every, every time that I'm like, I'm going to just apply for this thing, they'll say no (laughs) and then whatever, but then it happens. And so I keep on like, I haven't, I did before the linguistics, um, degree. I had never taken a linguistics class. And then I was like, oh, I wonder if they'll let me in though. Right. Mm. And then I was like, yeah, but I've studied this, this, and this, and yeah, it was okay. And then again, with the, um, computer science stuff, it's like, oh yeah, I mean, like I've worked on Python and a little bit of this yeah. and then they're like, oh yeah, sure. Try it. So yeah, I just been, um, consistently lucky throughout my life to wow. yeah, get, get just, yeah, a lot of, a lot of really amazing opportunities and, you know, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm here doing now. It's just enjoying another amazing opportunity. And yeah, yeah. No, that sounds that sounds really cool. What what do you think about that, Tim? Is that uh, are you religious, Tim? Is this like like uh, uh, you know the higher higher beings work, or are you just lucky, or what, what's uh, going on there? Definitely not religious. Um, I think it's more just that I was yeah born into a very privileged uh, set of circumstances from the beginning. And then was lucky enough to, yeah, keep coasting on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just think, um, yeah, you know, like having, you know, I talk to a lot of people who want to travel and that are not from the States. Mm. And, you know, New Zealand's got a really strong passport too. But me being able to travel and teach English is not because I, like, was born a great teacher. It's because I was born with a strong passport and a language that is, uh, you know, uni- like around the world there's an industry yeah. in that. So I, yeah, just like I've been lucky to have everything that I have. And I, yeah, I just think that, um, yeah, I'm grateful for it. It's, it's not, uh, I don't feel super proud about it. Just kind of like, <laughs> Oh wow. Thank you. <laughs> you know? Like, well, yeah, I think, I think good on you for taking advantage of that too, you know, yeah, recognizing that and then using that, you know? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, yeah, just glad to have it, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that current, my current situation just kind of continuation of the amazing fortune that I've had. Yeah. And just, yeah, like doors kind of opening up for no reason. And I'm happy that they do (laughs) because now I get to study something that is like so relevant right now too. Like AI Mm. research is, uh, you know, it's, I, I wasn't researching it when I did my master's and then all of a sudden I'm in it and it's exploding. You yeah. know, it's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. It's changing tools that are used every day. And, um, yeah, I would like to help to shape. I feel like in the current situation and the current trajectory, it's like the most potential positive that I have ever like positive change that I could have ever, um, you know, cause, you know, is, yeah. is right now. And, as a teacher, I think like teaching is, is a semi, uh, revolutionary act as well. You know, you can, you, you're, you have access to these children and you can impact how they are planning to live their lives. Mm. Like you can be like, Hey, be a good person. They're like, yeah, that's cool. I'll do that. You know? And so teaching English, you can really try and build up people's, 
um, confidence and their skill set and their their worldview so that they value each other and everybody else. And, you know, like you can impact that way. But that's like one in a two, 10, 20 kids at a time. And now it's like, oh, wow, like I'm in a I'm in an industry where I could potentially impact a massive amount of people in a really positive way, as long as, you know, the robots don't take over and we don't, we don't all die. <laughs> <laughs> so. The Terminator yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Do you usually look at what you want to do or what you pursue in that light? Like how it could impact the world? Because, you know, a lot of people like think about how much money they're going to get or what the career path is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when they choose what to study or what to do. Um, um uh, there's a, so, so I would say that a lot of my career path has been at least a bit of that, mm. um, massively selfish in a lot of ways too, where it's like, oh yeah, I want to travel to Thailand and if I teach there, then I can hang out there for longer. Right. Um, so it isn't, it isn't like a purely, you know, philanthropic endeavor. It's definitely like, there's a lot of selfishness in what I'm doing. It's like, you know, right now I can do the PhD and selfish that I can learn what I want to learn and do all these other things. But I do think that underlyingly, like I want things to get better. And if I can help them to get better, then that's, yeah, that's really important to me as well. So, yeah. And, uh, it sounds like, it sounds like you learned a lot of languages. Speaking of learning, you know, you like learning because yeah. you traveled a lot. And if you picked up languages to the conversational level, that's a lot you know yeah you well that's actually one of the reasons that i'm so um confident that i'll be successful in what i'm working on now which is kind of like working on low resource languages and uh helping to um yeah to like bring low resource languages languages that aren't don't have a lot of data and you can't really easily make uh translation tools or question answer tools um the, one of the reasons i'm confident that i will be successful is that learning spanish for me was very challenging because i grew up in um, I grew up speaking English and then I'm like, all right, I have to learn a second language. Learning the second language was very, was very challenging. And I mentioned Italian was a little bit hard because the languages are so closely related. Mm. Um, when I tried to learn Italian, it messed up my Spanish, but as I've learned more languages and more and more languages and, you know, I forget them. It's not like I can speak 20 languages and off the top of my head. But as I have learned more languages, I've noticed that it's really a lot easier. Language number two is really hard. Language number six and seven is like, oh, cool. Like I just have to learn 20 different things and I can shift them around and then I can make a conversation. Um, and so that's my idea for, for AI is like, and it's been proven that the more languages that you put into these models, the better they do with less data. And so I kind of want to push that into the as little data as possible and, and you know, basically leverage the generalized knowledge about language these language models are are deriving from the training data in order to do that and that's kind of from my own personal experience of learning is like oh yeah the more languages you know the more you know like in this language this thing happens so maybe i should look for that in this other language oh it's not there cool like i can move on and that's the idea for yeah for my own research as well so yeah and like like you were saying earlier you know if we can do it as a human you know like if you can see a one side of a car and we can kind of picture what the other side looks like you know must be doable in the computer level too yeah absolutely and i think that you know a lot of the architectures are um built with you know like thinking of how we think so because how could you what, what else are you gonna do <laughs> but yeah, yeah like so if we can do it 
And we have pretty consistently proven that given enough data, different models can do what we can do. And we can assume that anything that they can't do right now, they will be able to do in the future as long as we build the architectures correctly and we provide the correct data. So yeah, it is, yeah, it's, I think it's quite hopeful that with a very limited amount of data, but a strong understanding of how languages use work universally, that you should be able to train, to, to teach a language model, any language with like in, in the same speed at the very least that we would be able to learn it. Right. Or with the same limited data. So yeah. that's kind of the idea. Yeah. I think we were talking about it before, uh, before we met. Um, oh, like last time we met, um, we're talking about like Jimmy Wales and like the Wikipedia, um, side of, side of things. And yeah, he, he, his podcast, um, well, he was on Lex Friedman podcast and he, he was talk, they were talking about like the available languages on Wikipedia. Mm. And he reckons that with the development of large language model, uh, the development of the Wikipedia being available, you know, in multiple languages and low resource languages, it's gonna accelerate. So, you know, that's like, you're, I feel like you're at the peak time of this, you know, it, it growing just before it hits the hockey curve, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And it's really cool with, uh, cause like the only reason that the acceleration is happening in, um, multiple languages is because of Wikipedia providing all this data that we harvest and then we train off of their data. And then it's, yeah, it is a very like this amazing kind of machine of, um, yeah, just one element improves and the next element improves. And because that improves, you just, you see how everything is working together to really, yeah, to accelerate the, the process of machine learning becoming, yeah, more, more accessible to more people and more languages. And yeah, I think it's, it was really hopeful for me because one of the things when I, um, that I think about with teaching English is that in my experience, a lot of places it gives, it's, it's a way of giving people more power because they can interact with different economies and different, um, you know, knowledge that's not available to them. But if they don't have to learn English and they can use the technology in their own language, then they have that power for free mm. and they don't, they don't have to, you don't have to rely on like the colonial power, uh, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like setting, giving you permission to participate, you can participate in your own language. And I think that's, that's kind of the dream is like, really, I think that the most positive outcome that could possibly happen from the research that we're doing in low resource languages is democratizing knowledge in a way that all of the communities around the world can participate without this gatekeeper English language or whatever other gatekeeper language. And yeah, I'm really excited about that. That's something that I, you know, it's like maybe not going to happen, but uh, I'm hopeful. So, yeah, that's big on like AI ethics, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everyone having access to that resource. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that I, um, you know, I'm sometimes skeptical of different, uh, different organizations or different, um, you know, even academic frameworks, but with AI and machine learning, you have like hugging face is all open source. Uh, even meta is like really big. Cause you have, um, the, the pe people in that company are just like pushing quite hard to keep things open source and open AI, unfortunately is no longer open and no longer AI <laughs> as they said. Um, but, um, you know, they still, I, I think that they have a strong ethical, um, approach to a lot of what they're working on. I think there are some things that, 
are questionable and, you know, you know, it's new and we're working on things, but I do think that in general, um, AI and machine learning is driven by more ethical people than I would have expected, you know? And I don't know if that's a lesson from some of the stuff that happened with the internet or other past, uh, kind of technological booms, but I do think that people are really trying and, um, I'm so skeptical of, of you know, like this kind of thing, but I, I do believe that in a way that I, I didn't expect it, people are trying to be ethical and you have a lot of, yeah, it's, that's, I guess that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, that they were that open about it. I know open AI, you know, starting out as like the main idea being open source AI yeah, yeah. to now being commercialized. Yeah. Um, but I, I knew like Meta had their own and then like, uh, what are some other companies? I guess Amazon would have their own, um, but and Nvidia would have their own and things. Yeah. So are they, cause I know like they post like the blog posts with like their latest articles and things like that. Yeah. Like, I guess this one. So, so you have, um, all the latest articles with the latest code, you still have people that are protecting their data, which, you know, is, that's more driven by, um, yeah, by capitalism than yeah. by, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but you do have like, um, Meta's models, they, they release like Llama and all that stuff is, um, those are, those are like, you can just have them and mm. use them. And the mentality for that is driven by, a, like the idea that, um, if you train a language model for six months and you're using a building's worth of computers to do that, that's, that's a tax on the, on the environment, that's you know? True. And so if we build communally build a language model, that's really good. And we use that to, and we fine tune that and do whatever other stuff we're going to do with that. We're actually protecting the environment and that like even having a, an environmental um, mentality about computer science isn't something that I thought about before I got into it. And I was like, Oh, cool. like, yeah, I just consistently am uh, impressed that people have, you know, it's cause it's the people in, that are in these positions that are protecting, um, us from the corporations. They're not in the positions because like they know somebody it's because they're really good at what they're doing. So they, they're very passionate. They're very smart and they have a position. They've worked themselves into these positions where, they are the experts and there's nobody that can go on top of them because there's nobody better than them. So if they say like, we need to keep this open source and you know, like play, companies that have those people who aren't doing that, like, I don't know, like they should really consider why, you know, cause there's nobody better than them. And so, um, yeah, I do think that in the current state, like you need to have these top, uh, top computer scientists, um, yeah, really driving ethics. And I think, when you see it in the large language model, or like, you know, massive language models, right? <laughs> um, when you see it at the top, in the top situation, and then it works all the way down to like what I'm working on, which is smaller languages. And that means that the whole, the whole, you know, building is working on the same, same ethics. And there's, you know, there's questionable people everywhere and there's weird stuff happening with people abusing some of the, you know, like just horrific things. But I do think that, you know, I think that will keep pushing towards an ethical, uh, yeah, ethical industry and ethical academic environment. And I'm lucky to be involved with people who regularly talk about ethics when we're talking about whatever projects we're working on. So 
I hope that's everywhere. Maybe it's just I'm in a bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what. Um, oh, by the way, help, help yourself to the oh, yeah. some delicious vitamin oh, water. Excellent. Yeah, Thank very you. refreshing. I wonder what it is about. Like, uh, I wonder if it was the case with other technologies that were that were d- being developed in the past. You know, like if you see AI these days as a technology that's coming up. You know, like I think they were trying to privatize the internet when it first came out and make it so that it wasn't accessible to anybody, and except through and even in the states recently, they um, there was a big push to make it so that um, they could throttle the internet speeds for different companies, and you could pay extra. And I think that the uh, bad guys won on that one. Okay, Um, but the impact hasn't been felt just yet. But essentially, yeah, there's a constant battle to to basically limit knowledge and limit access to knowledge and limit access to technology. And, um, yeah, as long as we have people continuing to fight against that, like everybody wants access to technology and information. So as long as we just keep every, you know, like everybody's interests instead of like the, the, um, you know, top 1% or whatever, yeah. then I think we should be fine. But yeah, like I know the internet was and is still, still a battle. For a lot of places. I mean, it's not open in a lot of countries as it is right now, right? So, um, I wonder if it's like human uniting against potential threat of the robots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone's yeah. thinking like maybe like consciously, maybe subconsciously, maybe shout out to the Terminator. You know, yeah. everyone's like, we've been here, we've seen this before, we know what's gonna <laughs> happen. Let's. Let's keep this open. Let's keep this as safe as possible, you know? Yeah. Maybe it's that. Yeah, I think that, um, <laughs> I think from the outside perspective, there's a lot of fear about AI taking over and killing us all. I think from, and you know, like I, it's still even within the um, AI world, I do think that people are still concerned about it, you know, to different extents. Um, but I do think that that the... Terminator situation is unlikely, not because I don't believe in time travel, but, um, I do think that, yeah, I think as long as people stay scared, then we'll continue to, yeah, to prevent that, I guess. Um, but yeah, I do think there's a lot of within the, so I've been to a bunch of different, uh, venues where somebody will stand up and talk about AI and there's 200 people listening, hundred people listening, and they'll talk about like the architecture and the mechanisms and these weird little projects they have. And the first question that no matter what the mm-hmm. topic was, art in AI or, you know, um, graph, uh, graph neural networks, like you have so- somebody, the first question will always be like, is AI going to kill us? And you're just like, oh no, like, <laughs> didn't you listen to what I said? Um, so I don't, yeah, I'm not so, I'm not worried about the apocalypse from AI, more from humans than from AI, I think. We're trying pretty hard to kill ourselves. Yeah. I don't know. I think potentially like if we can work out how to um, use AI to help prevent that, that'd be cool. That'd be my ideal. To prevent us killing ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, AI, what's a better solution to uh, our energy situation or Hey, AI, what is, you know, like, how do we get this resource without, uh, you know, resorting to slavery? And they're like, I don't know, pay people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch that documentary? I think it was on Netflix. I haven't watched it, but I've heard about it, about like the history of electric cars. Oh, no. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't seen it and I'm not sure. Uh, 
there was a long time ago there's the who killed the electric car i think that, that sounds one? like about it yeah oh, okay, yeah. yeah that sounds like because I, I don't know if you know the full story of it but what, what i've been told was the electric cars came out like years and years ago and it was super popular and it was getting popular too you know they were endorsing giving out to celebrities and they were saying it's amazing it's quiet uh, you know, it saves fuel. You know, you obviously don't have, have, to, have to use fuel. Um, so it was getting really big. And at some point, I think like a petrol car company or maybe a petrol company bought the company out. And then they basically went downhill from there. And they were saying like, imagine like, so I, I don't know what, you know, like um, what year there was in, but it sounds like long time ago. And imagine like if that caught on, where we would be now you know yeah absolutely yeah because uh who killed the electric car is at least uh 10 years old is that right yeah the yeah. documentary is at least 10 wow. years old and um did you watch that did you watch that? i i mean i'm i'm guessing it's at least if i i think if i did i i think i saw it but i think i saw it like 15 years ago maybe. Okay. <laughs> um so i'm 38 so i think i probably would have saw it i think i saw it when i was around 23 or so mm. and so i don't remember it other than the name and that there was yeah that practice they, they exposed that practice um where they yeah buy buy technology that will threaten them and then right. crush it and the pharmaceutical companies do that kind of thing too and uh, so it is yeah i'm a bit uh anti-corporation anti-capitalist sometimes <laughs> for those kinds of reasons um yeah you know like uh, you know, uh, a friend of mine I actually just found out recently um, it was involved in that uh, Volkswagen deal where they were. Do you know about that? Where they no. were, man, they they basically like had figured out a way to um, have the car identify when it was being tested, and then burn fuel more efficiently at that time so that it, the output would be uh, less. Okay. And then when it's actually on the road, it's just spewing out like tons of really? tons of pollution. Yeah. yeah. And then they got caught and got sued and there was a massive, uh, yeah, massive, um, uh, what do you call those class action lawsuit, which I just found out like two, a uh, month ago or so that wow. my friend was involved in that. So good job on that. Oh, so, so your friend was involved in finding them out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, he was involved in the lawsuit. So he's a wow. uh, lawyer for, yeah. for a company in San Francisco. And so, but yeah, so, um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Big case. Sounds like a big case against like. Oh. I was blown away. I, there's a documentary about it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. your friend on it? No, oh, no. no. It should be. It should yeah, be. They should if be. you're watching this, uh, yeah, yeah, Fong. Fong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fong. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Fong Nguyen. He's uh, he was actually the uh, lead singer in my high school band, and so yeah, you're the band. The lead singer. I guess he was the singer. Or no, he's the guitar player. Yeah. Oh. I was in a band. I was terrible. I'm still <laughs> bad at music. What, what did you play? I played the bass, but we turned my, mm. the volume down very low on my bass. Okay. I kept on forgetting what I was doing. So. <laughs> a lot of people do that though. Like, cause I used to be a little bit into music, Yeah, uh, but like, it's a joke that, you know, bass player, it's already obviously low frequency by definition. Yeah. And you, we turn the volume down so no one can Make hear it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I was terrible. I can't, um, no? Yeah, I've got like some pretty pretty uh, persistent uh, ADHD, and I I just would forget what I was doing when I was playing in the middle of a show and kind of think about something else, and then it was supposed to change. I don't think bass is conducive to um, that kind of mentality either, because you're just doing the same thing over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, kind of would wander off, and yeah, it was not the right. I like drums. Maybe I should go back in time and play the drums, and when the the Terminator uh, <laughs> comes around, do you still play? 
No, no, I, I've uh, given up on music a little bit. I like oh, listening. No. You like listening? Yeah. What do you like listening to? Um, I have I listen to all sorts of stuff. I don't really have uh, one genre. Um, yeah, a lot of hip hop from uh, my my younger days, and mm. uh, yeah, a bit more pop these days than I had expected. I yeah. don't know why. Yeah, just like I I, f I find listening to, like I'll put on some headphones, and walk around, it kind of makes me walk further. Well, so. who who be who be some of the artists? Um, some of the artists. So, uh, I like, um, I guess for like hip hop, my, one of my favorites is dead Prez, which is like a very, um, let's get free. You should, everyone should listen to that album. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, I also like, um, ASAP rock, which is oh. not ASAP Rocky or yeah. however you say that guy's name. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's kind of, he's a fun one. Um, and yeah, like I like Dua Lipa. I like, Ripley, yeah. yeah, she's very good for walking around. If you put on headphones and you throw on one of her albums, you can you can walk for great distances. So I heard her songs got really good bass lines. Yeah, there's a song exploder. Have you ever heard of that podcast? Yeah, yeah, I love this by is that by NPR? Probably Prob by NPR. Probably. But yeah, I love the <laughs> oh the professional podcaster <laughs> right here. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I, yeah, I used to listen to that. Yeah, they they had a really good one about. Um, the song Levitate yeah, by Dua Lipa. Yeah, and that's yeah, actually sure. why I started listening to her um, because the way that the producer described the um, building of the song and then the way she described it were so different and yeah. just like, but it's um, like, he's talking about like, oh, I found this, this strange uh, synthesizer. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make this song tomorrow. And then she's like, came in and had a great time writing the, the, the lyrics and stuff. And I was like, oh, they just sound like they're entertain uh, enjoying life. So. I decided to listen and enjoy life. But Song Exploders are really cool. It's good. Uh, yeah. It's it's because they like layer it up as well. They like kind of break down the layers, right? Yeah. And it's interesting listening to like each layers and you realize how many layers there are. And yeah, it's fun like going back and listening to that layer. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know it was there, but it's there. <laughs> yeah, totally. And like um sometimes i really enjoy when i thought a song was either saying something different or like meaning something ah, different yeah. and i'm like oh wow no i can't believe i had that wrong for so many years and it's like oh this new meaning is so much more profound and i don't know enjoyable so yeah yeah that band well like you know the band you started you know became big you know like one of them is like suing volkswagen yeah. the other one's you know studying you know the next um terminator you know yeah. <laughs> Make yeah. the next terminator yeah yeah the yeah. band name was terrible it was a uh, mad dog mad dog yeah i just okay. me and my buddy scott he was the other drummer in there we were very angry about this name but uh <laughs> fong was like the he's the best uh, or like most driven so he got to but mad dog terrible name great band fong it mad dog has to have a reunion yeah, yeah. Really I just messaged uh, Fong about that the other week, and yeah. he said he's been writing uh, writing music for the past twenty years, and he's ready. So Fong's expect so, Fong must be like a pro now. <laughs> yeah, How yeah. does he have time? Because lawyer, you know, like the the kind of the reputation is that they got zero time. Yeah, right? that's what I thought. Yeah, maybe maybe he uh, uses it to to uh like like while he's studying. I don't know. Okay. Like I, I have no idea. I'll have to ask him next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How was um? Because you you travel around a lot, Tim. Like, how does like do you have a favorite country or like how how, how does how does it feel like living in New Zealand? And I just want to get some because I haven't really traveled much or at least 
I, I've traveled a little bit, but never really lived in different countries. So I want to get some, like, I want to hear your experience. Um, yeah, I think favorite country, definitely not. Because, uh, like, I maybe have favorite countries for food or okay. for, like, music or for XYZ. Oh, yeah. But oh, I definitely don't have, like, a... I think that, like, America is a, rad, a really cool country, but it has a lot of things I really don't like, you mm-hmm. know? And I would say that about a lot of places around the world, right? Um, yeah. Uh, Thailand is somewhere that... I lived in the north of Thailand, and I taught English on... Um, like I lived on this farm and I basically would go to two different schools a day on my motorcycle and all the places I would have like 10 to 50 students at each school. Wow. And there's these little villages in the, um, national, this national Valley of a national park. And I basically like, that was one of the greatest times of my life Sounds for amazing. sure. Yeah. And the, you know, I learned, um, learned a bit of Thai while I was there and like lived with this family that was just like, they're like my family now. And, um, so I have the, I love it there. There's, you know, stuff I don't love there. Um, mosquitoes. Uh, <laughs> there's mosquitoes, lots of yeah. places. But yeah, I don't know. Like New Zealand is pretty outstanding as well. Um, there's things I don't like here, but there's, you know, like, I, you know, this is an amazing country. This is uh, definitely some beautiful, beautiful uh, nature, really clean air, uh, good, good produce, good food, you know, like, so, and also like, um, yeah, you have Auckland especially, or maybe uniquely, maybe, well, I haven't spent so much time in Wellington, but Auckland is, Auckland is a very diverse area for sure. with like some of the, you know, like one, one issue with some, uh, some Asian food in California is that the, uh, target audience is not the original audience. Whereas like you have such a fresh uh, immigrant population in New Zealand that the people are cooking for themselves and for each other. So you have like, you can get some of the best like Thai food in New Zealand that I've ever tasted, right? Wow. Because it's like, they're just like people just recently come and they're cooking for friends that are here and other people maybe that have traveled there and want to have the authentic food. So I think like, yeah, Auckland is amazing for food, great for people, great for culture. Um, and yeah, I'm a big, big fan of New Zealand. Uh, yeah, big fan of the academic setup here. Um, and yeah, I like, I like New Zealand. It's a good country, <laughs> but yeah, traveling, traveling, um, I, I've traveled probably too much and I've enjoyed hanging out in one area for the past, uh, four years now. So in New Zealand, three years, what year are we in? I got here right before like 20. 2020 january yeah. so right so before covid like, lockdown yeah yeah so three and a half and yeah and i've only left one time for one month so yeah yeah and before that it was how how long did you stay in each places um the longest i ever stayed in a country was a year okay um and for how long <laughs> like for how long like the how long did you travel for while you're teaching oh so I I started traveling when I was quite young and I was very lucky to grow up on the border with uh, Mexico. Mm. So I'm from San Diego and from the age of 12 on, I would go into Mexico at least once or twice a year. And then up to when I got 16, I had my driver's license. We'd go for lunch, you know, like, and it used to be so fast. You could go and walk across in 10 minutes. And now it's like the, um, a lot of like, a lot of negative uh 
governmental impl- um, policies in the states have have slowed that process down. So it takes like an hour or two hours to walk across, and that's uh, just kind of is it yeah. Trump effect or yeah, it it's one of, them. One, one of them. One of them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, but. Um, yeah, it's just kind of ramped up over the years and really ramped up during the Trump, Trump uh, era. Um, but yeah, yeah, like when I was in high school, we could just, you know, like, uh, again, just that American passport's really powerful and you can just walk across mm. and walk back. And it's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was wild. So um, that was when I started to um, really enjoy traveling. And, uh, you know, like uh, when I was real young, we had some uh hard times financially and the way that my mom resolved that was by packing like packing the house full of uh um uh foreign exchange students okay so i actually think that while i i often like attribute my passion for languages and traveling with my love of like really love of mexico such a great country so much fun to travel in but i think that it really stems from the fact that like when i was five years old there was like five or six languages being spoken in my house at all times and just like, yeah, so cool to like constantly be interacting with people from different countries. And um, when I was like 17, I got to go visit some of them in Italy and Switzerland. Wow. And yeah, so I've always been very, very lucky to be able to travel. And yeah, started started young and continued until basically getting to New Zealand and then getting locked down. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think post PhD, I'll probably roam the planet for a little bit and then find find some some more work and yeah. True. until then you are locked down here for you know three three four years right yeah 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 commitment. so I'm, first year's coming up uh soon That's end of right. the end of the first year is yeah. next month um next month yeah so so, yeah yeah so you do the uh the confirmation review and uh then i'll be into the i guess the real real section of it um year two and three and hopefully not four and five, <laughs> but after that, yeah, like hopefully I'll get to travel and get get back out there, see see some people that I miss, and mm. yeah, find some new places too. So, yeah, yeah. How's the preparation going for the first year review? Yeah, it's going well. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I have uh, so basically like a bit of mix of requirements because I'm technically an art student, but I'm very much writing a computer science uh, paper. Um, and so trying to make si- both sides happy is, is an objective. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. I think I'm, I'm almost there. A worst case scenario, I think like, worst, worst case scenario, they kick me out and I can go travel again. <laughs> um, second worst case scenario is like, you just have to fix whatever they tell you to fix and mm. move on. So. Because with the, you studying the NLP, I can see, I feel like the computer science side of things would be quite easy, right? <laughs> no. Is that right? No? I have, no, definitely not. Why, why, why do you think the computer science side will be easy? Oh, no, no. I, I, I didn't mean it easy. I, I meant it easy as in uh, justifying why you are, you oh, know, okay. that, that side of things. Yeah. Um, and okay. You mean for the... In particular for the confirmation review. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mentioned linguistic side of things, maybe a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I'm yeah. surprised that you said that, but I would say 100% definitely. Because yeah. um, I'm surprised you said that because I didn't know that that was the case until quite recently. But yeah, um, the linguistic side of things is definitely more um, interested in the writing output because it's an arts 
uh, subject. So writing is very important and computer science side of things, writing is not important. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you know, you have to be coherent and express your ideas, but it's not about, um, that's what it's about. It's about being coherent and expressing your ideas. Yeah. It's not about like really taking somebody on a journey. Um, but I, you know, like I, I come from a, my first, my bachelor's was in literature. So yeah. been writing since I was a, a wee lad and I should be okay at it. So yeah, it's going pretty well. I'm looking That's forward good. to it. That's good. What, what do you, have you got some ideas for? Cause I think one of the things, if I remember correctly, one of the things is you have to present your ideas for some novel research, right? Is, is that yeah. still the case? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. I hope that's, that's <laughs> what I'm working towards doing. So. Yeah. So have you got some ideas or is it too early to say? Oh, no. I mean, the ideas that I'm working on are basically like how to generate data using large language models um, for low resource languages. So essentially, like uh, these languages have developed an understanding of language in general. And can I give it a limited vocabulary and a limited set of grammar rules and say which group, which language family it's in and have it generate, um, generate data that I could then train a different model on. And I know that it'll work because I already experimented with it before in a limited capacity and I found some pretty cool results. So like, um, do you, have you ever heard the term conlang? No. Uh, it's like, I don't know what con stands for, but lang stands for language. So that's okay. like, uh, constructed. That's what it is. Constructed language. Check out conlang, um, subreddit. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so basically it's there like, uh, what's, oh, what's that movie or what's the language in avatar? Oh, Navi. Yeah. So yeah. Navi is a conlang, right? And so is Elvish or whatever else, like just somebody who had an interest in languages or maybe was a linguist for Navi, I think, um, uh, I think that Sarov, who's in linguistics, I think he's, he's like friends with the guy who made that language. So it's like quite established linguists for the big movies and wow. whatnot. Um, but basically like I had it try to make a Polynesian conlang and gave it some random syllables as, and with, and gave it a dictionary and then had it construct sentences. And it actually follows the grammar of what you would expect from a Polynesian language, a language. And then like introduced things like reduplication, which is when you double up a um, syllable to change the meaning and did a bunch of really cool stuff. So like I do, yeah, like I think it's novel cause nobody else is doing it. Nobody's tried it. I don't think. So if you're watching this, don't steal my idea <laughs> <laughs> or do, I don't know. I'll then build up off of whoever steals my idea. Um, yeah. So I think that's one idea. And then the second idea is to, um, you have a grammar is a, um, it's like a book that, has been written by a linguist that gives all of the different, um, like the phonology, so different sounds available and the, the syntax, so the different structure of sentences. So you have all of these grammars that have been written, but nobody's done anything with them after you write them, except for work for different theoretical um, conversations, like, well, in this language you do this, in this language you don't. And uh, so what I want to do is be able to actually translate those grammars into some sort of machine readable text that can establish rules for generation. Wow. And so then generate new. So the idea is essentially that if I generate text that the language model can learn from that text, the patterns, whereas if I try and set up rules like language rules from the grammar is not going to work. You can't say like this. Um, it's like if you set up all these, these rules for when something is wrong, 
like you're going to flag a lot of things inaccurately. And I know that from trying to work on crammer error detection software with hard coded rules. So essentially like mm. the idea is to create a new data set that the model can just decide on the distribution of the words based on experience of that data. So is flagging when something is right and wrong, that's difficult is because there are many, like too many rules to hard code. Is that, is that what's going yeah, on? Yeah. Yeah. There's an impossible amount of rules to hard code <laughs> and there's a ton of different, um, exceptions to different rules. So it's just not, um, yeah. Like, uh, is it language tools is got like a hundred thousand or something rules and it's still, and some of the rules are super, uh, bizarre because it's open source and people can add whatever rules so sure. it's like there's like rules about like um when china should be capitalized versus lower case mm. so like i have a china plate right but there's like you can wow. from a lot of those rules like you can come up with a way of um breaking that rule and saying well not in this case does that make sense like what would be an example of that um let me think because i almost <laughs> would have to have um and there's like, oh, okay. So there's like, it's very hard to do, to do, um, phrase detection. So, um, you know, it was until you have some of these, but rule-based phrase detection. So you have like, um, uh, like where a comma should go. Um, so if you said like, I, I killed Bill and, uh, Tim killed Ted, mm. you should have a comma before the and, right? Yeah. But if you have, I believe, t uh, I believe I killed Bill and Tim killed Ted, uh, the comma is optional depending on the context. So in one situation, it's like, my belief is this happened. And the other situation is, I, my belief is that this and this happened. Right. And so, um, yeah, so basically like you have infinite amounts of these weird things that could break the rule. I had a great time when I was working on this gra grammar error detection of coming up with these rules and then breaking them and coming up with these rules and breaking them. But like the amount of rules that you have to have that are unbreakable is not, it's not feasible for, for, uh, what I want to do. So, yeah, I didn't know they were categorized as like a great grammar rule break because grammatically they're both correct, right? Like where the commas are. Oh, they're both correct. They're both correct, but it's like the meaning changes. And so, you can't say that the comma being the comma being present or the comma missing is, is ungrammatical. So it's like, um, yeah. So it's just a matter of like, you're, you're having to, you take that first section and you're like, the comma always has to be there. And if you have a and a comma and B mm. should always be true until you add something to the left and then it's no longer true. And you have to like, think about that constantly. And the way that I would think about it before was when I was working on some of the software was I would think about it because why is my rule not working when I run it? And all of these examples are coming up that I didn't think of. And I'm like, oh, that's not ungrammatical. That's not ungrammatical. And so I think that this, the idea of flagging mistakes is not going to work, but I think the idea of giving possibilities to the model to learn, to generate more possibilities, I think that's, that's possible or, you know, that's a better, that's kind of my, my approach to it. That seems definitely, definitely seems like a way to go. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, I don't know, then they can kick me out in a couple <laughs> of years, but I think I'll, I think I'll be successful. So, yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I feel like the grammars wouldn't be universal, right? 
like to to different languages yeah the dialect as well i don't know yeah so um yeah universal grammar is like uh kind of it's more like universal like uh, grammatical tendencies i guess and then what i am looking for is for languages that are similar should have similar um grammar structures and similar um and there there are universals in grammar like this thing must always be there if this thing is always there right but those are kind of limited um but in families they're not as limited so when you start talking about like polynesian languages then or languages of the pacific like you can be i can expect that this thing is there and therefore it will be there in this other language and if it's not then i can very easily just say hey by the way that's not the way it's working so generate it a different way if that makes sense I think so. I wonder how many clusters of languages there are, or families <laughs> of languages. They must have been done that. They must have how been many, researched. How many that. families of languages? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question that I probably should know. <laughs> I think that in general, though, like the awareness of um, how many languages there are is, is kind of up for debate. And there's different organizations that say, you know, there's 7,000, 6,000 is like pretty consistently. Okay. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, so but the, the thing about 6,000 is that it's quite consistently stated. But the, the source that it's coming from is like from 20 or 30 years ago. And in, mm. in that source, it says in the next 20 or 30 years, we'll lose about half of these languages. Okay. So I'm kind of skeptical that there are 6,000 languages. And I think that it's just kind of a lazy way of... Um... <laughs> <laughs> just same, using the same source. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've gotten into a couple of debates about that with some people recently. So um, I might be on the... Uh, outside on that but yeah so either either way though there's let's say there's six thousand because you know why not and um one of the things that i'm trying to do is basically um yeah look at the language groups and how we can kind of leverage similarities in those little in those little groups um to encourage because or encourage more coverage because like if you look at most language models large language models are saying like 100 200 300 languages that they cover that's not a lot Mm. in comparison to how many are spoken and even that coverage is questionable and quality of coverage and um where they get the data and all sorts of stuff is very questionable so i am yeah i think uh yeah hopefully this these language group if i can if i can basically like look at um language families or typologically similar languages some languages that have similar structures then i should be able to try and encourage the model to learn from less less uh examples so that's the idea yeah there that's a lot of languages and you know you think about the grammar rules different grammar rules each language has yeah. and different characters too like korean you know from like my my uh you know my i guess first language right um yeah, like different characters. Looks completely different. Looks different. Sounds different. Yeah. Yeah, Korean's cool, though, because it's got, like, relatively um, easy for a language model to identify the words because it's, like, so, I mean, just such a well-constructed um, written form. That's true, yeah. Um, you know, Thai is actually a super challenging one, on the other hand, because you have, uh, there's no spaces in words and you don't have the same clustering like you do in Korean. Okay. So you have just continuous text, no white space to distinguish where word one, one, one word begins or ends. And you have tonality marked inside of that stuff as well. And you have silent, um, 
silent vowels and silent word chunks okay. even. So you have just all sorts of information that doesn't actually correlate to spoken Thai either. Okay. And so, <laughs> Who yeah. came up with those? I feel like if you're coming up with a language, right? I will, this is another thing. I think I've heard, correct me if I'm wrong, Tim, but I've heard Korean is the only language that they know who, who's made it. That's what I've heard. Um, I don't know if it's the only language that they know, but I know that it's like very, uh, like the person who made it is King. Do you recall? Yeah, I know. I know. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I it is a king. It's a king. He's on the money. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, what's his name? King Sejong. Oh yeah. 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 That, I mean, um, I don't know if that's the only person who, or they, the only time that they've like intentionally built a written language um or designed one but it's well designed like you can I, I think that anybody could learn to read the sounds in korean in a day like <laughs> that's true it's amazing that's what a true. cool like yeah so so well thought out so easy um you got the little batman thing too i don't know if you know the batman <laughs> oh like, is that like the character that, it looks like b is yeah, it yeah it looks yeah. like a yeah, batman I, yeah yeah that's true okay I, I mean for me it's just a character you know <laughs> okay, and for, yeah, yeah. but i can see it from your perspective you know like yeah and then you got like double double uh batman oh double batman yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so um yeah I, I learned i tried to learn korean when i was living in korea but there's that was definitely that was language number the third language or so that i tried to learn and it was again like i said once you start picking up, it gets easier. And I felt like Korean was quite challenging for me because I didn't have some of the background in the, um, the politeness structures. Oh uh, yeah. And so I think though that my time struggling with Korean helped me out with Thai, which has similar, um, concepts. And so, you know, diff totally different language, but similar kind of, um, like structures at the beginnings and ends of things. So right. yeah, but yeah, Korean, Korean's, uh, the writing structure is great for NLP. <laughs> so has there been much nlp on korean and like is that different much different from kind of what you i guess it, each language presents its own challenges i imagine right yeah definitely each language definitely presents its own challenges um i don't know much about korean nlp to be honest mm. i know more about a little bit more about thai um and yeah essentially the one of the biggest problems with low resource nlp is that all of the language technologies built for uniquely, um, typically like super high resource languages, which is typically English. Um, and then it's like, oh, well, we built this thing. If you can use it for your language, go for it. Great. If not, then you have to build it yourself. Mm. So Taya had this big lag of um, where research was being held up because of when you're trying to encode the word, you can't figure out how to tokenize it, how to break it apart so easily. And so with English, it's easy. You just have the white space and then you're done, right? Um, and so Thai had a bit of a lag on that. And there's other approaches that you don't have to break it apart by word. Um, but, you know, the big, the main, you know, main uh, large language models are breaking words up based on those white spaces and, or at least word boundaries. I feel like they will make things a lot easier. Like when yeah. it's broken down, because that's like another job you don't have to do, right? Yeah, there's there's some debate on that. I'm so byte pair encoding BPE is like basically breaking part words almost on like a um, morpheme level, morpheme level, which is like so basically like almost on you're all, like so like if you take the word 
dogmatic. Mm. Okay. So it'll break it apart at like dog or dogma and then attic it'll have it also. So it breaks apart like the individual chunks okay, and then kind of smashes them back together to get the full word. So it's like you, you, you can learn a lot more when you break apart small chunks, especially for words like, uh, or for languages like German, where you have t- um, these like massively compounded words. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know about, much about German, but essentially like uh, table tennis is like one word, tisch tennis. And it's like, if you can break apart these words, um, like based on the sub words, then you have a better chance of understanding how they're related to each other. But um, yeah, every language has definitely its own unique challenges. And I think that one of the things I want to do is leverage the work that's been done on English and other super high resource languages um, to improve performance on low resource languages. But the barrier is how do you sometimes like, how do you leverage, how do you, how do you, if this thing doesn't, if this part of this uh, language doesn't exist in these other languages, Mm -hmm. then you have to build a bridge and that, that could take some time. (laughs) Sounds like a PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Luckily for me, the, um, Polynesian languages are, are, uh, they typically have like the, um, Latin based script. So that's part like that should make it easier. So you don't have, I don't have to, it's not like Thai or Korean where I have to like adjust to a different script. So that's nice. That's true. That's true. So there will be like Samoan, Tongan. Yeah. Fijian. Yeah. Maori. Maori. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, um, hopefully Nguyen is another one that I'm interested in there. Similar enough that the model can understand what to expect in terms of morphology. Like I need to have an article here or I don't need to have an article there. Mm. Don't need to in this case, but, um, yeah. So we're like plurality. How does that work? Or does it work? Is it a thing? And, um, yeah. So the more related, the more likely that it'll have these gaps that it's like, well, where's that data? And then it can potentially have the model. Um, yeah. Ask me, <laughs> you know, like, Hey, we're missing this thing or I'll see that it's missing in the data and I can adjust. So, so that's, is there like, training so that's oh that's like the part that you said about like generating data Mm. yeah yeah so the the original the first step that i'm hoping to you know make work is to have it to have the model generate data from it's kind of uh the generalizations it's made about that language group yeah or language in general you know um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely decided there's typically not 15 A's in any word, right? <laughs> so all of the languages it's seen, that's not a thing. I don't know. 6,000 languages, Tim. Yeah. There's never know, like right? a one or two yeah, languages yeah. that's all A's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Could be right. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Man. But that's, um, yeah, definitely sounds like a, uh, PhD research to me, but it's, it's a fascinating one too. And especially when it's, you know, uh, tied with kind of positive um trying to contribute to the low resource languages right like yeah yeah and i think in the context of new zealand being closer to those uh those where the where they are mainly spoken to you know like yeah be an advantage you know maybe you could travel there you know because of field search yeah definitely i definitely need to go check out all of the different islands around here you will have to for yeah, your yeah. research purposes I, I mean i really want to like um 
yeah, I, I really, the, one of the things about the com, go moving more into computer sciences and away from linguistics is that it's harder for me to justify traveling to the places I want to travel to and talking to the people I want to talk to, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, do you really need to go there? I'm like, nah, maybe not, but I would love to. Whereas if it's like pure linguistics, like I have to go collect the data, there's sure. you know, no other way of getting it. So easier to justify. So maybe I'll try and dodge back into the theory a little bit more just to. Yeah. Cause you're 60% linguistics, right? True. Yeah. True. So I should so, be know? spending 60% of my time in Fiji. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What's um? cause you know, NLP, you know, just the nature of NLP, the study of NLP is so related to language, right? Yeah. Do you think more, uh, but right now NLP is mainly studied and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong as well. They're, they're mainly studied in like say computer science department, but in, in the context of AI, right? Do you think more people studying NLP should, uh, study more on the linguistic side? Um, I, so I think it depends on what your, what their objective is definitely. So, but I think for low resource languages, mm. yes. Like I, I think that having more understanding of what the language might have in it is important and like being able to, again, like being able to say, okay, this language, um, like you, you were mentioning about, uh, my last name, Pistati, you were saying like Italian has that um, E to E, like uh, singular versus plural. So pistote maybe would be the singular. But if you have NLP people who are unaware of these kinds of differences, they don't know what to look for. So I do think that um, a lot of the NLP people, any NLP people that I talk to have learned a lot about linguistics um, in order to do their research. And I would like it if a lot of linguists started to learn more about NLP and kind of move over to that side. Um, I think that I'm, yeah, like I, I'm hopeful that there would be more collaboration and I'm like a first step in that process at this university. Yeah. And I hope that more of that happens because there's just like, you know, we have like really brilliant linguists and really brilliant computer scientists. And if we can make them brilliant together, <laughs> that would be brilliant. <laughs> so. There must be a lot to gain from both sides. Yeah. I mean, you know, from the NLP high resource, like, um, if we're talking about, um, like English is, I don't know how much linguistics knowledge you need to do NLP for English because you have so much data and you can just throw it in and it'll figure it out. Um, you know, it's a technical term. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, the side term yeah, throwing it in, <laughs> figuring it out. And so, but I do think that for lower resource languages, like that you don't have that much, it is going to be beneficial to have some sort of, um, linguistics knowledge. And yeah, I mean, so I mentioned earlier, NAWI, uh, yeah. natural artificial organizational intelligence Institute. <laughs> is um, that like a New Zealand thing? Oh, that's a, uh, yeah, that's, uh, basically the lab I'm in is affiliated with them. And now is a research group that is, yeah, it's a New Zealand research group and they're trying to, um, incorporate like different types of intelligence into, into, um, the, into the research we're doing. So 
that that group is it's picking up steam right now mm. and um i think that while like yeah like basically i think that there just needs to be way more collaboration and that's what now he's trying to do is to create more collaboration between departments because like the psychology yeah. department has really cool people like really amazing researchers who are doing interesting work that if we had access a little bit more to and they had a little bit of access to us then i think there would be yeah just and so, so that's what we're working on is trying to like elevate these different um different fields because like cognitive science is what a lot of ai is built that's on true. and like i mean the the main issue is that you can only know so much and you can only study so that's much true. right yeah i'm mean, constrained by time yeah and, and ability right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um i was thinking about this recently about like okay like we're modeling our systems off of cognitive science and i'm totally comfortable with that that's what we're doing i don't know anything about cognitive science i was thinking about that the mm -hmm. other day i was like i've never cracked a cognitive si i have like my intuitions i have what i've read about vaguely in different articles but like i don't have any idea about cutting edge cognitive science uh stuff that you know and research and um, but how can I, you know, there's only so much I can do. So it is, it is a matter of how do we, um, how do we collaborate and start to share our knowledge? And I think that AI is going to help with that too, because, mm. you know, like potentially we can identify what research topics we're all working on, how are they related and who knows what about what and how do we contribute? And so I think that as those tools start to get built up, that we'll do better in collaboration, but. Yeah, I think linguistics is important, cognitive science, I think uh, robotics is it's all it's all <laughs> like just needs to come together and machine learning needs to um be taught I possibly for each different like I, I think like there should be a machine learning yeah. for linguistics taught like here at this university. Cool. I think that is true for most of the subjects. Like how can you and you know there's a couple of research groups that are trying to get that going as well. Um, but yeah, like there's, you know, there's either you can push against it and say like, we don't want this to be, you don't, we don't want you to use this because that's not the way it's been done in the past. Or you could say, Hey, like, check it out. You could probably write a book very quickly that talks about the issues you want to talk about. If you use chat GPT as a scaffolding, uh, technique to build out your structure, and then you can also use it for editing so that you don't have, um, tons of redundancies or grammar errors or, miss chunks altogether and so like yeah like you I, I do think that we need to speed up how collaboration happens and how we conceptualize the technology that we're building yeah i think there's a lot of efficiency to gain from that yeah you no know? and i mean I, I i guess yeah we can i guess it's like if you had a if there is like someone who has a phd in uh, psychology, you know, if has, you know, and that person has a PhD in computer science, you know, mathematics, statistics, you know, they, they wouldn't really, I, as far as I know, they, they would be a person that has <laughs> all those four PhDs, too, <laughs> but not that I know of in, in my close circle anyway, but yeah. if there was a person like that, I feel like they will have a different, very different perspective on things. And they were, they were to, uh, you know, pers pursue a research in one of those areas, it would be, it would be different to someone who just knew computer science. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I think that, um, one of the cool things that we talk about now is the organizational element, um, and how 
to, as an organization, start to um, streamline the, the um, research process. And one of the things that um, one of my supervisors, Michael, talks about is having an agent that is basically talking to multiple people at the same time, like an AI agent. Mm. And so like you're explaining to the AI agent, you're not talking to, you know, wh whatever other researcher, but essentially you're explaining your idea to the central agent. And then that thing basically is asking relevant questions to other people in the group and answering it so that it's having like a multi-human conversation that is driving towards an end product, but it has like, you have, the humans are like subject matter experts basically talking to the central thing that is trying to figure out the end goal, if that makes sense. I think so. I think so. Has that been implemented already or? No, not it... yet. Yeah, yeah not yeah. yet. Something on, in the in the works. But I do think that that kind of stuff is what's going to speed up research. Because, yeah, you can't have one person with four different diverse PhDs. Like, And if you did, they'd clearly, uh, you know, they don't remember the first one. <laughs> <laughs> so what would it look like? So you'll be, say you are like uh, doing your PhD. Yeah. And you'll type a question on it that's, you know, potentially cross-discipline yeah and it will recognize that and send those messages to experts in the areas yeah or potentially like identify a gap in knowledge and then ask the person who does know about it like yeah. hey what do you think about this thing or how can we move this project forward and then synthesize what it's decided from there to ask the next question to the next person whatever expert needs to be you know asked and yeah i think that like you know i do think computer science is really cool for how much collaboration is done mm. um and yeah i just think that it'll just ramp up as you know i think that one of the things too is like computer sciences keeps in the past you know however many years it's like keeps answering these questions so much quicker that they're like we need more questions <laughs> so that's why they're reaching out to like physics and they're reaching out to all these other departments because they're like we have this amazing tool that can answer the questions like how do we how do what what questions do you have and so i think as different departments start to um, recognize that these tools can solve a lot of issues that we've been dealing with for a long time. Either there's going to be resistance because there's defensiveness about like, well, I, if you solve my problem, I don't have a job, which is you know <laughs> legit, but it's like, oh, if I solve your problem, we can move to the next problem too. Um, so I think that's, that's what I, I'm hoping for. Yeah. I just hope for more collaboration and more, I, I think it's happening, you know, so I'm not, not too worried yeah. about it, but. I think it's inev inevitable, you know, people using more and more AI yeah, and therefore collaborating with more and more people from different disciplines. I know with academics, I, th I feel like one of the challenges knowing, you know, me having been an academic as a PhD student myself, yeah. I know I can get my nose too far too deep in the books, you know, and I, yeah, I remember feeling like, I mean, I don't really want to know about because um, right now I'm a data scientist, right? So I did have to stretch out to say like a bit of computer science things or software engineering things a little bit. Um, but I do remember feeling myself uh, feeling a little bit stubborn, you know? It's like I, I am a, I'm a mathematician, you know? I'm a statistician, you know? I, I'm, I'm around that area, but I don't want to stretch out. But yeah, so I, I can kind of see like from that point of view, not, you know, Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's an older generation. Maybe with the new generations, it will be different. But yeah, I can see that, that there will be a bit of resistance on that, on that front, maybe. 
Yeah, I think that um, I think a bunch of that resistance will fade as productivity increases, and you're like, oh wow, I could do more stuff with less effort. That sounds <laughs> that sounds enticing. So, I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that I've learned from my one year in the PhD that I'm like, oh man, there's yeah, there's just like endless opportunities if you start to apply mm. some of these uh, machine learning practices and um yeah just using ai for your own research is awesome so i think i think it'll pick up and more collaboration will happen i mean yeah. again collaboration is happening i just um you know it's it's hard to know who's working on what sometimes because this place is massive you know and so i think that yeah as we have organizations like now that start to pull people together um you'll see more collaboration and greater results and i yeah i look forward to it i'm pretty optimistic yeah now i think it's cool that you are the first bridge to do that at least between linguistics and computer science yeah and on that front you did a you have a master's in linguistics term and you you are one year in you know computer science across with you know across with uh linguistics so you know in a, in a way you are doing a collaboration by yourself right <laughs> so on that front how do you think that computer science side of things could have helped and made a difference or and or improve your master's research? Well, first of all, um, I would say that uh, having the, one of the things that I have really enjoyed about um, the computer science stuff is like uh, acknowledging that, um, that like how do i say this so it's like under, acknowledging that i can use computers and that it's like i it's it's a learnable skill um has really opened up a lot of different uh avenues and one of the things that i really am excited about in terms of uh lack of labor that was such a pain in the masters was um microsoft word is like one of the programs i hate most in the world <laughs> And, um, I don't know if you've ever written a 40,000 word document or whatever, on but Microsoft on Microsoft word, no, sir, no, yeah. sir. But that's the standard in the linguistics department, unfortunately, yeah. or the arts or department. Arts de yeah. yeah. yeah so we don't have latex and I did not there you know go. about yeah. it. And latex has revolutionized the writing process for <laughs> me. Cause I'm like, oh my God. So, so if you, in, if you have like, and linguistics is a data heavy, um, example heavy. So we call, we say saying linguistic data is like saying that, um, like in this example, this word is in this position in this okay. example. So this is what we're referring to data and linguistics. So you have all of these data points and you, they're all numbered <laughs> and they're <laughs> oh, all no. referenced to each other oh, in, no. the, in the document. Yeah. And every time that you add another something above or below, you have to adjust and you're just like. Um, it's exhausting and sure. bibliographies. I hate writing bibliographies. That's terrible. Way easier in computer sciences with yeah. the latex, LaTeX. Um, yeah, I'd say LaTeX is, do you say LaTeX or LaTeX? Well, I say LaTeX. LaTeX. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That's so, how you say it, LaTeX. Yeah. Okay. But there's a whole new, whole, you know, debate on how it's pronounced, how yeah. it should be pronounced. I don't know what's the, but I feel like it's discipline dependent. Oh, okay. In maths, we, we say LaTeX. Okay. But I've heard. I've heard LaTeX, LaTeX, 
latex latex you yeah. Know? yeah i've heard all kinds of different yeah, yeah. Well, whatever the name is the worst <laughs> part of the <laughs> the pronunciation is the hardest part of it um but yeah like with um yeah and like you can uh yeah you can like do amazing things with that oh and before God. working on python i looked at latex or lat lat latex <laughs> and i um i was scared because i was like this is this is intense and then after learning a bit of python i was like oh this is like not challenging at all and and i think just like that um initial hurdle and learning that like computer science is learnable like anything is learnable if you just put in a bit of effort um that's that's been pretty big and just kind of yeah that's but yeah i think um that would have made my masters easy that was the question right what Man. would be make it easier yes sir i think they would have <laughs> half like literally half the time of your writing like, at least a month of my masters oh, was okay. dedicated to formatting like yeah. things and you, you know go. like all of a sudden it's like you press tab one day and it's like <laughs> deletes half your document or something and you're just like what happened or it's shit not deleted but it's like shifts everything over yes. one and or changes every uh every number to a different yeah like a different language and you're just like how did how did that happen and how do I undo it? So yeah, probably at least a month of my life was spent on word. Yeah. So, Microsoft, get it together. Get it together, Mike. But <laughs> having said that though, I always had a feeling that, cause a lot of people, even in industry, a lot of people use word, a lot of people use Excel, you know, a lot of these Microsoft products. And I always had a feeling that they were never really built for um, oh, bless, bless, did you just turn the, bless your, um, you know, like, uh, mannerism for no, the, trying to get yeah, you yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so for those, yeah, people that are watching will understand. <laughs> um, yeah. So I always had a feeling that like, they are good products, but people have abused their capability. So ne they were never really built for, um, like, right, like anything more than 10 page documents mm. um are, are you getting a call oh, oh. no i actually was uh just re re do you know the time oh yeah no um so it, it's been an hour we're back everyone we're back we're back um yeah so i was saying yeah now i had a feeling like they are really good products but everyone everyone started using it right you know maybe it started with people writing like one one or two page documents they're like you know, this is nice and easy, nice and e easy to use, you know? And then they started abusing it. It became 10 page documents, <laughs> hundred page. It's like, why not? Yeah. But I, I feel like Microsoft never meant it to be like that. Okay. Yeah. You know, that, that was, that's my feeling, you okay, know? Yeah. yeah. And then, but people are using it and that's the standard now. Yeah. So it's, you know, like, it's kind of like people are using bike to get from like Wellington to New Zealand, yeah, I'm like Wellington yeah. from Oakland. That, yeah. That's kind of my thinking, you know? Yeah. So, um, I think for the, for a book, you know, like a thesis or, or dissertation, I think LaTeX, LaTeX, you know, um, should be a bit more out there in my opinion. Right. It yeah. makes things so much easier, whether you are studying science, studying arts, like yeah, one, absolutely. one example right here. Yeah. And you know, um, with, with, uh, to, you know, like ChatGPT, you can have it produce for sure. And so, so like, um, if you have a, if you have like a presentation and you need to do, uh, you know, this is, this isn't for the undergrad people who need to actually learn these skills, but for like people who are in an industry where they need to do make presentations and it's not about putting in the hours to learn the thing, but actually having this, the end product. 
um, you can have it spit out slides in no time, you know? So you're just like, Hey, make me these slides and it prints out your latex and you adjust it and, or LaTeX, uh, LaTeX <laughs> and you adjust it. Um, and I think it's a, yeah, it's an amazing tool that, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big, big fan. And I agree. Like Microsoft word, I take back what you said. You're okay, but not for, <laughs> not for everything. Not for, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, nah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like, you know, I think 90 9.9% of people that use LaTeX day to day, I would say they don't know how to do it, but they know how to download the template and they know what to change. Yeah. And um, now it's ChatGPT, but before that, Stack Overflow. Yeah. You type like most specific question. Yeah. There's someone who's asked that question on Stack Overflow before. Yeah. But now that's easier with ChatGPT. So. And even uh, Overleaf has a bunch oh. of templates that you can ask, you ask for. And it's like, yeah, it's a super accessible yeah. skill now. When Absolutely. I was talking to my, uh, one of my, one of the professors here I was talking to him about it and he said that when he tried to learn it or learned it for his, um, dissertation that he had to like open a book to do it. And I was like, that sounds terrible. I'm not going <laughs> <laughs> to open a book to open learn that. Imagine oh, that you. like chapter one, begin yeah. document. Yeah. <laughs> no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't yeah. do that. But I was thinking like, cause you were saying like, it's such an easy, uh, it's easy to pick up. I was thinking like. You know, when we say these code codes, like say Python, um, which I'm guessing you are using main, it's like yeah. the main language. Yeah, we say it's like a coding language. I wonder, like now, you know, you having picked up several languages, and you say it becomes easier every time. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, if it's the same thing. Maybe it's easier for you to learn different languages, whether it's codes or programming, um, or spoken language. Yeah, I I think about that too. I I think that. Um, Maybe to some extent, I think that just with one one massive massive hole I have in my education is uh, is maths, mm. and I have not taken maths. Oh, um, I haven't taken a, you know I'm, I'm from the states, so I'll say a math class instead of a maths <laughs> class. But I haven't taken a math class in a lot of years. Yeah, and so I think that some of the Python stuff involves a bit of. Um, conceptualization in terms of nesting that's different than how my brain normally works but look luckily syntax in uh, linguistics has a lot of similarities in how um, structures are worked out and so i do think that conceptualizing the breakdown of structures through a linguistics lens syntax lens um, made it a lot easier and that again is you know, from learning languages, but also learning how languages work. So I do think that mm. Python in particular was an accessible language because I just spent like two years of my life staring at uh, syntax. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah. And I think that the, I think it's like Google's like, is it Google one? I think it's Google's like the number one hire, hire employer of, um, of lingu linguists, uh, out of, uh, like with PhDs or masters, because essentially like the assumption is you will be able to learn whatever language. True. Um, so yeah, so you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool that there's a bit of crossover, uh, kind of skills over on, on that side of things. You know? Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that in general, like learning, like, especially a PhD is like basically learning to learn mm, and then you can kind of just figure out whatever field it is that, I don't know. Maybe people will disagree with me on that, but I think, yeah, at this point it's like, you're learning how to do research. And if your topic is like, my topic is currently machine learning, but last 
year it was not. And so it's just like a different topic that I'm doing research on. So I feel like, yeah, like at this point, if I were to change to any other field, it would just be like, oh, now I'm doing research in that field. And like, what is my profession? I'm a researcher. And that's, if, I don't know if that, that tr is, if you feel the same way or if, to some extent, but. A hundred percent, hundred percent. I think there is with PhD, there's a lot of emphasis on like, you know, show, basically showing that you can learn things. You can pick up things. You can do high level research on this topic that you didn't know too much about before starting, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot, a lot of PhD in my opinion is that, well, of course it's, you know, if you are doing a PhD, you would be an expert in the niche thing you would be doing, but more often than not, I mean, I think in your cases, you know, computer science, and especially with AI, a lot of applicability to different disciplines and it's been, that's a bit more easier to see, but with maths, it's quite often is very niche. Yeah. But so often I feel like, uh, with maths, for example, like the, the, the research and kind of the output came out of it was the mathematical skills, but also kind of the general skills that you can learn things. Um, as well as, you know, math being kind of more gen, you can, it can be generalized to different um, applications as well. But yeah, I, I do think that like, it's, it's kind of demonstration that like, I can do this, you know, I can write a book on this topic within like three or four years. Yeah. 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 Um, so what, what was your, what was your experience with the math? Uh, yours is your PhD is in mathematics. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. And what, that's, that's horrifying to me. I, <laughs> That's probably one of the things I'm least likely to be able to learn. Man, like you would find that it's it's pretty, um, it's pretty interesting because a lot of, I can't say a lot, but I've met quite a few people that they used to not like maths in school and therefore not picking it up in university as much. They start with like one or two, but then they start liking it more. And as the kind of, you know, um, you, you first year level, second year level, third year level, as the levels go up, they start liking more and more um, and end up doing like PhD or something. Yeah. So yeah, I would say uh, high school. Yeah. Like in my opinion, right? High school maths, what, what we learned there isn't really maths. I, I would say it's more just calculations, yeah. which is very different to what maths is when you get to like PhD level or even, even just uni level. Yeah. So, um, to me, it's a lot of fun. And yeah. I think a lot of people that are either terrified or, or were not very good in high school, I think a lot of, not everyone, of course, but a lot of people in, in, from, from that group, from those groups would enjoy it. It's, it's actually really fun because you start saying like, okay, like you learn this one thing and you can see that you can apply that like say a theorem right theorems like a easy example of it you learn a theorem and you can apply that to millions of other things like it's the applicability is infinite yeah and i think that's like so exciting so fascinating and to prove that theorem it's only like a couple of lines long of course there are you know there are thousands of lines long theorem proofs as well it's like really exciting you know like <laughs> yeah it's just yeah i don't know that, that's what excited me yeah and i just kept going with it and now my interests changed a little bit um i'm more into like programming and coding now yeah 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 but that was my experience yeah that makes sense yeah. i mean from the machine learning side of things i love reading about the maths learning about the maths um but like my it's it is it's a stretch for me to <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, it is, it is, you're right. Like it is, it's ex the more you learn about it, the more exciting it gets. For sure. Yeah. I just don't know that I would be able to be a pure, <laughs> pure mass oh, PhD. Man. I don't know. My I wish I would. It, it's very romantic, you know, yeah. like just doing it for the sake of research. And well, yeah, I think it also helps that Goodwill Hunting is like one of my favorite. <laughs> Have you seen that? Movie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's one of my favorite movies. So, yeah. hey, Tim, you, you got to uh, shoot off soon. But yeah. before doing that, I've got a couple quick questions. Okay. But even before that, uh, do you want to get anything out there? C can people contact you on LinkedIn or uh, do you have Instagram or? Uh, yeah, what's I mean, the best way? I'm Tim Pistati. You can find me <laughs> on the internet, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like uh, the. No. No, <laughs> sale Naui, they're great come check us out Maui. that's about it We're, oh you know what i will uh push something we have the Naui symposium is happening next month on the 27th october 27th and uh you can get tickets on eventbrite um and yeah there will be five speakers for five different uh subjects and i i'm excited about it so um it'll be you know interesting for experts and for people who are just like you know hobbyists or curious about the issue so uh yeah come come out to that i'm not talking there but you know I'll, I'll, you could come sit next to me <laughs> sounds good and uh for those of you you don't have to but for those of you that have any questions or anything like that uh am i good to link your linkedin at all or? yeah sure go yeah. for it yeah cool sounds sweet good. awesome well so um I've got some couple of questions that I thought could be kind of fun to ask you, Tim. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so you're obviously, you know, like we talked in the beginning, right? Language is a big part of your life and you love languages. So here's the question. Language could be seen in different ways, right? The kind of most obvious ways, like the spoken languages, you know, the 6,000 languages that we talked about. Another one is being able to understand the language of the world say like you know like a dog barks you know you know what the dog wants right yeah so you have two choices you either can speak every language on earth fluently or you can talk to animals and plants oh and plants, and plants. oh no okay well you then have to i'm gonna have to the take other. the and plants I don't really need to talk to my dog. I like my dog, but he's just going to be like, give me food, give me food, give me food, take me for a walk. But I'm super curious about plants. Like we have no idea what they're doing. And like, um, one of, you know, one of my favorite books of all time is uh, secret life of plants or the hidden life of plants. Okay. Um, of trees. Oh, I don't even know the name of my favorite book. Um, <laughs> hidden life of trees. I think that's what it is. Hidden okay. life of trees. And it's this, uh, I Who's believe it? Austrian forester who basically just walks around the woods for his whole life and it's a but, but it's a non-fiction but he's basically like distills all the information of his experiences along with scientific research to explain all of these things about trees that I had no idea and I, I recommend reading it in a forest because that's what I was doing I was like <laughs> anytime I was going to read it I'd go hang out in the woods and just look at these trees and just be amazed yeah um, but you know you have like trees that you know like communicate with each other and you have like my uh, mycelium underneath that are like taxing the trees and order like taxing them as in like hey i'll bring nutrients over there if you give me a little nutrients yeah, you know yeah. so it's like not a parasitical relationship but it's actually like um these trees won't live if they don't have this this relationship and yeah i think that's um 
how do we get to oh yeah i would definitely like to talk to plants option b yeah option b option and you b. have like ah. the oldest yeah oldest living plant. i just recently learned the oldest living organism is uh is i think it's like kelp as opposed kelp. to uh okay. the giant mushroom or fungus in uh in oregon ah. so yeah i'd like to talk to all these plants is it k-e-l-p yeah Kelp. yeah yeah like seaweed seaweed okay yeah, yeah. okay um yeah. So yeah, definitely. Good question. Thank you. But I, I wasn't so. I I like my dog. I love my dog. But like, he doesn't have a lot of. He doesn't got a thoughts. lot to offer. He just wants to know. He just wants food and walks. That's fair enough. That's and to say enough. like he likes me. He's always sitting sitting on me and stuff. So. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. I get that's, it. That's all you need to know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, here's a very last question. Okay. Tim. Thank you. You're a teacher inspiring many students, right? Um, and you're now a linguistics researching or you're at the linguistics department researching under uh under rep under resource would you say low resource languages yeah low resource languages underrepresented is also good underrepresented to, yeah. yeah um and we talked about like you wanting to kind of contribute to the world in a positive way after after you are gone which hopefully is after a long time <laughs> um what do you want your legacy to be Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so keen on legacies for myself. Like, I don't know, like if some people remember me, that's fine. Um, huh. Legacy. Mm. Maybe I just, I just want people to be happy. So that's about it. Just like yeah. if I could have contributed to a better world in any way, I'll be amped. I don't need to have like a statue or anything, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, if, if some of the technology that I build helps, people to um, participate in the global economy in a way that destabilizes some of the um, hierarchies that keep certain countries and certain people, um, you know, in power and others in slavery. If I could you know, chip away at that mm. even a little bit, that'd be pretty, I mean, that's super ambitious, but that's, that would be cool. That'd be amazing. And yeah, I think at least, I don't think I'll be, uh, remembered for it but i i think that i will have contributed hopefully in some small way to that and i do believe that that is the direction we're headed and i'm, I'm yeah i'm thrilled so. yeah well thank you for thank you for that and thank you for this conversation and thank you for your positivity and optimism especially when you have you know big you know when definitely a big things to offer to the ai world which will be a big part of this world so yeah, now I appreciate you, Tim. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, I appreciate much. you. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Tim. And thank you, Tim, for the conversation, especially taking time out for this while preparing for your provisional year review. If you enjoyed this episode, please do consider subscribing and leaving a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I appreciate you. I'm grateful you are listening to this. I'll see you in the next one. Bye.